0: hey everybody welcome to this week's podcast just want to give a big shout out to everybody that showed up for uplink i had a really good time doing that that was actually everything went really smooth and it was an absolute blast and of course thanks to everybody else in the retro roundtable for showing up for that that was really cool so thank you all very much and let's jump into this week's news Pre-orders are now open for the Raspberry Pi case called the Pi Boy DMG, which is essentially a case that looks exactly like an original Game Boy with six buttons and uh, an analog stick as well as the D-pad. Um, pricing is 120 for the kit and 180 for it completely assembled, which I think that probably means a Raspberry Pi in there as well. So they're very expensive. And I always have mixed feelings on these because... If this was slightly different and much cheaper, I would have probably bought one just for fun. You know, there people who create content in the retro scene always vent about the people that are like that's stupid just get a Raspberry Pi but most of us actually really enjoy Raspberry Pis for whatever whatever it is that, you know, fits the niche that we need. And I imagine it would be fun to have one of these. And I actually no disrespect, but I imagine 75% of the people that wanted the analog pocket would probably be totally fine with something like this just to have that all right, you know, I'm going to have a blast of nostalgia and you know, in my pocket <laughs> carry around with me. Um, But there's just a few things about this one that seems so uncomfortable. Trying to jam six buttons into that, I would have thought four buttons would have worked a lot better because the thumbstick and the left two uh, actual buttons on there are very close together and the analog stick is directly below the D-pad. So that can't be comfortable to use. you got to be knocking into that when you're holding on to the D-pad. So I would have loved to have seen like a four-button version without the analog stick or maybe one with only the analog stick or something like that. Uh, But I guess that's 100% preference. You know, you could be looking at this going, uh, you know, this is the perfect thing for exactly what I need to do. This is awesome. That's what I'm going to buy it for. So that's kind of the awesome thing about a lot of these do-it-yourself projects. It's like, you know, you could tailor it to your own use. It might be awesome for one person and not the other. I don't know. But um, it seems like a pretty neat thing if you're interested. But once again, that price is real expensive. So, You know, uh, I, I would actually, if you put price into perspective, say that the analog pocket, you're getting a lot more for your money than this for 180. But who knows, maybe this is the perfect thing for whatever project you're working on. So thanks to Ray for writing it up. The creator of those Virtual Boy aluminum medallions has just done a second run of black ones for anybody that's interested. Um, And uh, I've talked about it before, but I guess I'll just repeat myself a little bit, because I I really do think this is one of the coolest small upgrades you could do to something. But the original Virtual Boy came with a plastic medallion, if you will, that kept the stand straight. Um, It also was, you know, the the mechanism that allowed the stand to fold up and everything. And after time, those things usually crack. And not only do they crack, but when they do, the Virtual Boy starts to sit lower and sag down. So, uh, Tony created a, an aluminum version of that. Um, and this ones are black anodized. The original ones were just aluminum and not only does it look really cool. So it's, you know, definitely a visual upgrade, but they're never going to break like the plastic ones would. So they're much stronger. Um, Also, uh, last time when I spoke about this, there were a few people concerned that because it was aluminum that you wouldn't be able to close the case anymore or that you would bend the metal or something. I don't really know what they were talking about, but all I know is I have it right here in animated GIFs uh, for anybody that's interested. It works just like the original. If you over-tighten it, it doesn't close, but it's not loose. It's not like the medallions flopping around. You can't just really, you know, don't use like a power screwdriver to really twerk it down. Just use it just hand tight and everything seems to work perfect. So, uh, I'm a fan of these. Um, I bought it originally. I'm not going to lie. I bought it just cause I thought it looked cool. I had no idea it would be this much of a functional upgrade. So if you're a virtual boy fan and you want to buy some cool stuff, uh, definitely email Tony directly. Um, I didn't turn the email address into a hyperlink because I don't want bots to be spamming him. So, if you're interested enough in this, just read the second paragraph of the post, and you'll be able to get all the info you need. The DB Graphics Booster is now in stock at Castlemania. No pre-orders. They're in stock, ready to ship as soon as you buy them. Um, and for anybody that's unaware, the the graphics booster is something designed by Renee of DB Electronics. Um, it was the original one. It's been cloned a few times from eBay sellers, and, uh, but it's a device that plugs into the back of either a PC engine or a uh, turbo graphics, so everything except the duo consoles. And it outputs composite video, S video, rgb via genesis 2 style connector um and all of them could be used simultaneously safely they're also well built they use the correct components so you don't have that issue where you're uh the composite video issue that you get when you buy some of those knockoffs. And also, I don't know why anybody would want to do this, but if you ever wanted to, you could also do dual composite video output. One from the RCA connector on the board, which pulls the properly shaped video from the console, and then one off of the Genesis 2 connector, which uh, uses the Sony CXA chip to get composite video. So I can't imagine a scenario in which you would want to use that, but I guarantee somebody out there does, so I wanted to let everybody know. Um, Also safe to use both audio outputs at the same time uh, these are also compatible with the hd retrovision cables and the rad 2x so if you are looking for a fully featured plug-and-play device for either one of those to get rgb and composite output um, this is definitely the one that you're looking for it's uh, 70 dollars plus shipping um So there's other options out there. You know, there's the SSD S3, which is video and an optical drive emulator. There's a few other things coming out, but uh, this is really the one where if you just care about getting video output, plug and play, and you want all the options, this is the one to buy. And just a very quick note, um, you're always going to get 99.9% of the time going to get jail bars on all of these consoles without switching out to surface mount capacitors. Uh, Console 5 sells those. Um, you could just pick those up if you need it. It's it's a fairly easy fix. Um, if you've done any SMD soldering of any kind, you should be able to pull this off. Um, but, you know, it's not a full cap replacement. It's just two to get rid of the jail bars. Um, but it's just my opinion, not fact or anything, but I just think that if you're, if you have to send out your console to get modded to somebody, so like, let's say you send it out to do the jail bar fix, maybe just have them uh, recap the whole thing because while the turbo graphics and the pc engines haven't been bad the duos are known for i mean you you pretty much have to recap all of them so who knows what's going to happen in the future so i would always just be careful about that but just my opinion on the subject Cricks just posted another firmware update for the mega everdrive pro and and it adds a small but what i think is really important feature for the everdrives and i didn't even realize it could be done this way uh, but up until now whenever you play a genesis game that has a save game or i guess on any of the everdrives the way it works is you save your game you you, know, you power off the console when you power it back on everything's still there but that save game is stare, stored in the ram of the cart which is what the that battery is there for one of the many reasons that battery is there that real time clock and stuff um And then if you wanted to back that save file up, you would have to load a different game. And then when you loaded the other game, part of that process would be dumping the save file from RAM to the file itself, and then loading up that other game in its save file in its place. So as far as just using this as a ROM cart goes, that... Uh, in a good way, it doesn't mean anything. It means, you know, it's just everything seems to work seamlessly. You would would have never known, you would have never needed to know how that worked if you're just using it to play games. However, if you want to back up your saves, if you want to move your save over to an emulator because you want to do a screen, quick screen grab of something and you don't have a capture card, there's probably 10 or 15 different scenarios I've had over the years in which I really wanted to swap around save game files. It's kind of a pain in the butt. You know, you have to basically load something twice in order to get your save file. So now, whenever you boot to the menu, so whether you reset the console, power it off, back on, whatever it might be, as soon as you get to the menu, that save file is dumped, which is good both for people like me that sometimes need to move these files around, and also because what if the battery dies? You would have lost that save if you hadn't loaded a different game. Um, and while that's not something you would need to worry about on the Mega EverDrive Pro, I really hope Quicks uh, will find the time at some point to integrate this feature into the older carts, because i do imagine somebody that's had never drive for five or six years that battery life is getting shorter all the time so you don't want to get like you know the end of sonic 3 and have all your have all the uh chaos emeralds and have your save game there and then just have that lost because you forgot to load up another game just being able to hit reset and have that backed up is pretty awesome so um you know as always thanks to Cricks for continuing to support all of these products and um you know while time is certainly of uh, valuable i hope at some point he finds the time to backport this to all of the other ever drives that would kind of work this way the do it yourself lag testing device i've been kind of following just got an official release i guess it's first um it's first edition of it uh, and a little bit of background on this um a developer came out with a way to use a raspberry pi and a high speed camera to test the lag of your flat panels or pretty much any uh, any display that you're able to connect it to um and then after speculation it was thought hey maybe i could make a device that uh, has a sensor built in so everything's contained right in it and that is what this device uh, turned out to be. Now, it's still in its very early form. I don't know if I would call it beta, but it's certainly in revision one. Uh, so it's essentially a, a light sensor that you have to tape to your display and then run a wire to a Raspberry Pi. So it's not, you know, it's not the sleekest solution. Maybe if it turns out to work really well, uh, I I bought one, of course, to test. And if it turns out to work really well, I'll send it to Greg from LaserBear and maybe he could just make it one you know, handheld device like the Time Sleuth. Um, But the only real disappointing thing at the moment is due to the driver situation with Raspberry Pi 4s, it's not going to be able to work with that, which means you won't be able to test a display's native resolution of 4K. It should be the same, but that's one of those things that I loved that we got to prove out with the Time Sleuth, because there was a kind of a thing for a while, or, you know, will displays be faster at 720p versus 1080p? And uh, the Time Sleuth helped prove that, Usually in almost every scenario, progressive scan resolutions are always the same latency and interlaced resolutions add a ton of lag, but that's pretty much the only difference. Uh, So I would have also liked to see, hey, native 4K versus scale to 4K, but that's not a fault of the Pi lag tester. That's really the Raspberry Pi 4 team. This is all hearsay. I don't know if this is a true story or not, so this could very well be internet garbage that I'm accidentally spreading, but I heard that right before the Pi 4 was released to the public, the developer who was working on the drivers for it quit the team, and then no one really picked up on it, which is why we still have so many driver issues with the Pi 4. But hopefully somebody will, will be willing to help on the, at that, because, you know, you're not just helping for one project when you work on a, anything Raspberry Pi related. You know, it's anybody who does anything on a Pi would be benefit from that so hopefully we'll get some driver support um also you know from a uh a content creator point of view, this is pretty interesting because it generates graphs and stuff that shows how it me- how it measures the panel and how it measures it slightly different than the Time Sleuth might. So while for everybody who just wants to know the speed of your panels and all your friends' panels, definitely still get a Time Sleuth, I quite literally have it sitting next to me at all times. I can't tell you how many times I've ended up using this thing. I figured it was exciting to buy and I'd use it you know, 20, 30 times max and I end up using it constantly. So if you're just somebody that wants to know the average speed of your panel, grab a time sleuth. If you're a content creator, wait for my review in this, maybe you'll, uh, or, or try it yourself. I'm not telling you to wait, but maybe see how, how you like how I uh, present the data through it. And maybe it's something that's pretty cool, because rather than just doing what I do and showing a, a video of the time sleuth blinking at a TV, uh, maybe... You could now combine that with some nice graphs and stuff like that. But hey, uh, options, which is something I always love. So I will keep everybody updated on this. It'll take me a while to to do any kind of video or, or even written review on it. Uh, I just got so much stuff in the pipeline, but I will absolutely get to testing this and let everybody what I think. Or let everybody know what I think of it because anything lag related, you know, I'm all over. Dan and Kristoff have just teased an Xbox HDMI mod that. Is an internal digital to digital mod that works similar to the other ones that they're working on, the DC digital, PS1 digital. So, assumingly, it would have many of the same features. Um, and Dan, I guess, just posted a picture to tease that it's in progress. And um, I don't know if they ever set an actual schedule for for release. They just they've been talking about it for a while online. I don't know. I don't remember if I've ever posted anything about it because I didn't know if there was anything to show yet. Uh, but when Dan posted the picture of this, I thought it was pretty cool and Alex took the time to write the article. Um, the only thing that I guess some people were upset about is this sits where the LAN port was in the same kind of really smooth 3D printed connector that the PS1 digital has. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, and if uh, I guess the, the goal would be to eventually add wireless functionality to take the place of the LAN. So if you're doing something like, you know, especially now with the high speed wireless stuff that we have. It, online gaming and stuff like that should should be about the same. But I guess there were a lot of people that still use this as their media player. Um, I imagine it would still be an amazing media player for uh, RGB monitors and CRTs because you could use XBMC and go right out, you know, a composite video or a component video output if you'd like. Um, so I guess Dan also said that they're going to try to figure out a way to do it where you have a choice. You could either have a no-cut mod that looks exactly like the picture shown here Um, or you could have an HDMI in the existing LAN port and a separate LAN jack would be adjacent to that, which would require cutting of the original shell. So that makes a lot of sense to me because that means they could keep their board untouched and the same for everybody so they don't have to spend more money on making more revisions. Um, And if the network jack is important to you, you could just cut a hole next to it and add the jack, uh, which makes sense because you would have had to cut a hole for HDMI anyway. And cutting a square hole for, um, for network is probably going to be easier. So that's that's kind of an interesting one. I'm obviously always a fan of no-cut mods, um, but I do wire everything I can. I just, being a nerd and spending years doing distribution of networks across wireless stuff, I just know that anytime I have a chance to wire something, I would prefer that. So for me personally, I'll, I'm probably going to cut one up and, and have both. Uh, Maybe I'll just keep, like, an unmodded Xbox completely stock and then have this one with the mods in it, but... You know, there's been a few people that have talked about um, Xbox HDMI mods. There's been people that have been teasing pictures for a while. So I'm interested to see what people come out with. Um, I gather there's going to be a few choices in the next year or so for people that uh, that want a true digital to digital HDMI mod. So, you know, no, um, no conversion of the image so you get the cleanest pixels possible. Also, there's the Chimeric Systems plug-and-play adapter I put in the Xbox video I did a few months ago that I, I thought worked really, really well. If you're looking for a plug and play solution I don't think you're going to find one better than that today other than the other solutions I explained there having to you know use your own converters and stuff like that so definitely you know uh, I'll keep everybody posted on all of these mods and as soon as there's any official information uh, but for now this is just a a teaser of what's to come from Dan and Kristoff I just interviewed the owner of one of the last remaining CRT manufacturers, uh, and it was just absolutely awesome. Kurt was nice enough to let me pick his brain and and just ask a million questions and really nerd out. Uh, I I thought, even though I realized that the monitors they make are are definitely not for your average gamer, your average gamer would just want to pick up any consumer-grade TV, maybe RGB mod that, maybe get a PVM or something. Um, It was really his knowledge and his attitude that, that made me excited to do the interview, not the fact that somebody might want to buy one of his monitors. I mean that in a nice way, obviously. Uh, He was just a wealth of knowledge, really easy to talk to, super nice guy. So if you you just want to listen to a cool interview with somebody with a lot of history, I, I highly recommend it. I just got to put things into perspective, though. These are monitors that cost as much as pvms would have been new so uh he said he's gotten a bunch of requests for quotes um and a bunch of people that are absolutely willing to spend that money no doubt to buy a brand new crt you know designed in a i don't want to say rugged because it's not like waterproof but designed uh you know a little bit more durable than your average plastic consumer grade crt would have so there were absolutely people out there willing to pay prices uh some people were a little bit shocked even though we did kind of warn everybody in the interview these are super expensive um So Kurt's going to try to... He emailed me last night, I believe, and he said he's going to try to get something together that would be a single price unit for retro gaming um, for anybody that wants it. So you don't have to get a quote. You could just kind of buy one and then pay for shipping or go pick it up. But they're going to be expensive. Um, I would think pushing three grand, hopefully cheaper than that. But, you know, and some people are probably like yelling at their speakers right now when I said that, but you just you got to understand what you're buying. You're buying a handmade CRT that's designed for a professional environment like a PVM was. And while it's not going to have the PVM level of of detail like that many line count, it's going to be higher end than your average just consumer grade TV. So, you know, it's one of those things where if this monitors for you, you probably already know who you are, and respectfully, if you're not sure, it's probably not for you. Take that money, grab some consumer-grade TVs and a PVM, and then find a, a good, reliable source to recap all of them for you, and, and it ends up being the same amount of money for a couple of different monitors. Uh, just my thoughts and opinions. Either way, please check out the interview. Kurt was an awesome, is an awesome guy. It was an awesome interview, and I was really appreciative of him taking his time. All right, I'm going to choose my words carefully on this next one because it's a million degrees in here and I imagine I can get grumpy quick. So I'm going to try to smile through this and keep it as positive as possible. Analog announced that they were going to do a second pre pre-order on the NT Mini Noir, which is cool because a lot of people were upset that they said, hey, we're going to sell this thing. It's the exact same as the first one. So they didn't buy one. And now they come to find out that it's got a whole bunch more options. So people that were like, hey, we're loyal fans. We've bought all your products. Why didn't you tell us there was going to be more stuff? Uh, that would be cool for those people, except they all of the new pre-orders sold out in about two minutes. So um, there's a lot of things I would like to say about this, but I'm going to keep it positive and say that uh, if you had that $500 to spend, and you really wanted that for all of the right reasons. It's a, I mean, it's a beautiful piece of art. I mean, that's no one's ever said an analog product doesn't look really nice. That's for sure, you know. Or if it's just it's something that meant a lot to you that you owned that, that's cool. But if you had that money to spend and you you just wanted access to a whole bunch of cores and uh, NES and Famicom cartridges, I would like to, to reintroduce you to a few different things. Um, first of all, the Retro USB AVS is available on their website for 185 plays NES and Famicom carts, and it does a perfectly good job. It's zero lag. I don't have any complaints. It might not be the most perfectly accurate solution, but it's way better than a generic software emulator. Plays your carts. Everything's cool. I get nothing bad to say about it at all. Uh, I did a review of it a couple of years ago, which is embarrassing because I would like to think that my review skills have improved a lot since then, but all of the points are 100% accurate still, so feel free to check that review. Uh, so that's less than half price. Uh, but you might think okay, but what about all those cores that I wanted to use? A fully loaded MR with the IO port that has the dual output and a RAM module. And, you know, a decent USB controller, or I guess even, you know, I do like they're not, you know, wireless is never going to be as low lag as uh, as wired, but I do really enjoy the RetroBit controllers that come with both, you know, original console and USB. Those are all great choices. Uh, you could get a Mr., a wireless controller, and have dual output, and have access to even more cores than the analog product, which means that if you really had your $500 to spend uh, on that you could spend the same or less depending on shipping and where you're at on a fully loaded mister and a retro USB AVS. So please don't, don't waste your money on a product that might not be for you. I said, I started with a positive before you might really want this particular product and there's nothing wrong with that. And don't let any, any fanboys tell you otherwise. That's totally awesome if that's what you wanted. But if really what you wanted was just to be able to play original NES and Famicom carts and have access to a ton of awesome cores, maybe go with what I just explained instead and, you know, have a support, a solution that's going to be around at the very least, the software side of it is going to be around for a very long time, even if they have to switch off the DE10 at some point, you know, support a forward looking product, not a product that looks to sell out in two minutes. So somebody could feel special that their product sold out. Some more updates from the Swiss team. Um, There is a a ton of updates as always that are bug fixes and tweaks. Full list of course is in the post. Uh, But it looks like this update's really focused on improving um, certain SD cards and SD card adapters. And if I'm understanding it right, um, whenever certain scenarios happen and it's slow to access the SD card. Some games are way more sensitive to that, like Soul Calibur 2. Um, and also you get things like FMV Stutter and, uh, you know, there's other similarly related things because of the speed issues. And it looks like they're trying to iron that out and make uh, an improved compatibility as well. So as always, I'm always just so appreciative to the entire team for spending their time doing this stuff. And for anybody that's not aware, Swiss is the swiss army knife of tools for the gamecube um but it legitimately is something that i I think that unless your game already works exactly the way you need it to at all times i always boot to swiss first always i can make sure the resolution set the way i want you know i could change certain features if i want to um you could use it on unmodded consoles and boot discs this way too you could use it for region stuff so definitely check it out it's totally free and uh, the link is in the post Modern Vintage Gamer just posted a video that described how they took a two-disc game, Resident Evil 2, and somehow made it fit on a single N64 cart. Um, Now, I usually, whenever MVG does videos that are directly related to the stuff we talk about, I usually like telling people about it and I usually like discussing a little bit because I like all the different views and stuff. But I can't do that this time without spoiling the video. Uh, You know, I don't, I mean, we all probably know the end of the story, but I just, I don't want to do that because it was a cool video and I really enjoyed the hell out of it. But I will just say this. If you're an N64 fan or a Resident Evil 2 fan, you definitely like the video, but you could hate both of those things and still just be a hardcore nerd that likes hearing about algorithms and the way way things are done that really probably shouldn't have been able to be done, but people figured it out, you'd still like the video anyway. So please check it out. All right. I wanted to save this final thing for the end because I'm probably going to talk for a while about PlayStation related stuff. And I just wanted to be respectful of people's time. If for whatever reason you can't stand the PlayStation one, then this isn't for you and you could feel free to just drop off. Also drama warning. There's a tiny little thing at the end. I have to address just to, just because you kind of have to. Uh, So if that stuff triggers you, you know, you'll know when it's coming at the end, so don't worry about it. Uh, But if you are interested in PlayStation stuff, there are two pretty amazing products that are about to be released. Um, One of them is the X-Station optical drive emulator, and the other is the PS1 Digital, true digital-to-digital HDMI mod. Um, The X-Station was designed by Rama, the same person that did the GBS control software, which is amazing. I loved that. Um, and the PS1 Digitals by Dan and Kristoff, the same people that did the DC Digital, and the Xbox One that I talked about that's probably coming in the future. Um, Voltar did an installation video on both, and they're both tricky. The The PS1 Digital is a little harder than the DC Digital, and the X-Station, that, you know, that kind of looked like it really depends on your soldering skills. Uh, I am not... That great, but I think I could pull off an X Station mod, but I don't think I could pull off a PS1 digital mod. Um, but either way, um, I will have in-depth videos on both of those fairly soon and my goal is to have those videos prepared and ready before pre-orders are open. Neither pre-order are open yet. Um, I don't know when they're scheduled to open up or you know if there'll be some in stock, if there'll all be pre-orders. I don't know any of those answers. I have links to when they will be available, to where where to go here. Um, but once again, I'll be doing pretty in-depth videos on both of these and both will be out within a month and hopefully before the pre orders so you'll, you'll be able to really see, is either one of these products for you? Uh, but for now, I can give a quick overview of both of them. Uh, I'll start with the PS1 Digital, because I've had hands-on experience with this. Um, also... If you want a, a basic idea of what it's like to use a Dan and Kristoff product, check out the DC Digital review I did a while back, and definitely um, watch John Linneman's DF Retro video he did on it. Uh, awesome video! It was more of an overview than like an in-depth look, but it still was a really great way to give people an idea of what to expect. Um, so if you're if you're interested in seeing the reviews come out, start with that one. It'll get you hyped up and it'll get you ready for for all the deep dive of info. But essentially, it's a did- Digital to digital mod that's going to be able to scale the image, be able to deinterlace it. It should be zero lag added, um, and it, it should be for somebody that that's a real PlayStation enthusiast. If you just need HDMI out, all you care about is I don't want to ruin the signal with one of those garbage cables, uh, but I don't really care if it's perfect. Just grab a Rad 2x or something, or a RetroTink 2x and a cable, or, or I guess even an OSSC, depending on what you need. Um, you know, if you just are looking to get a signal on a flat panel that doesn't stink, then grab one of the existing solutions. But if you're a PS1 enthusiast and you're looking for the best, clearest way to get these games out, including fast resolution switching and all that stuff, uh, it looks like the PS1 Digital is going to be the one to go for. Uh, And I've had some hands-on experience with it, and I'm really looking forward to digging into this video, because I think there's some fun scenarios in which people really appreciate it. Um, Also, one thing that... We all pointed out, uh, John and Audi, um, Voltar, and myself was the HDMI port in that when I was first handed the console that Jose modded for me, I went, holy crap, that looks like it's a factory HDMI port. So very ingenious idea to have the 3D printed thing fit right in there to make it look like a true HDMI mod. But I'll have the video out on that relatively soon, um, and I think people are going to enjoy that mod a lot. Also, the X Station, um, you know, it's an optical drive emulator, and the only other thing like that on the market now for the PlayStation is the SIO. So, in order to to really put this into perspective, we're going to have to compare them to each other, I guess, to, to give people idea an idea of what to expect. So, the SIO is a device that does require a mod to your PlayStation, um, but it plugs into the back parallel port, and. The reason for this is it's a device that allows you to either use your original disks or load games on an SD card. But the downside of that is it's a lot more work to lie to the PlayStation and make it believe that that's a real CD. Um, it takes a lot more effort, and there's a lot more compatibility issues to run those games through the parallel port, whereas the XStation replaces the optical disk drive. And I'm going to oversimplify it, so if you're a dev, please don't reach through the TV and smack me in the face for saying it this way, but essentially the XStation just emulates the optical drive, so once the data is hit the board the rest of the PlayStation interprets it as exactly as if it was an original disc, which is why, even though the X station is still technically in beta form, and I'm sure there's going to have to be firmware updates and stuff. It's remarkably compatible. It has so, you know, such a high percentage of compatibility um, right off the bat in beta form as a result of the way that Rama designed it. So it really is going to be an awesome choice for people that don't mind removing their optical drive. And You know, I've heard both sides of the argument, and I agree with both sides of the argument. You know, this is my childhood PlayStation. You know, this is the one I always want to use, and I don't want to give up my discs, so I'm going to install the SIO and switch between both and just deal with compatibility issues. Totally fine. And I've also heard the other side, like, hey, the playstations that this is compatible with are so cheap still it might even be better overall to get an x station and one with a broken laser and just have two playstations so both are both are completely valid answers to the issue um compatibility is is one thing that you would definitely want to pay attention to so the ps1 digital is compatible with the 5000 and 7000 series consoles and the X-Station is compatible with a few more, but the only one that matches is the 5000 series. So myself and a bunch of other people who have had this installed has used a 5501 NTSC uh, US console, and I believe the 5500 Japanese console. I might be getting that second one wrong, but a bunch of us use the US console. It's still really cheap, so if you're looking to buy another console for that To keep your eyes open for those, please, please, please check your local game stores first. I always want to remind everybody we got to remember to support those stores. It was hard enough before all this crazy stuff started happening in the world, so please check with them first. Also, if you have to go through eBay, remember that very often sellers will just Google PlayStation 1 pictures and use those in the ad, and what you buy is actually something different. So you're going to want to ask before you buy it hey is this actually a 5501 and you know i've had plenty of people try to buy stuff like this for testing over the years that a different model showed up and the seller was all well you go to playstation what's your problem and you might want to head that off at the pass and make sure and please don't support scalpers i knew the moment i posted this there was going to be some idiot on there that labeled it a a, you know a rare secret edition 5501 compatible thing i don't if you can't find one on eBay, give it a day. Somebody'll throw one up there. Don't don't support scalping, please. <laughs> um, but overall, I think they're uh, both of these devices are going to really be game changers for the PlayStation. I think they're both really awesome, uh, and I, I just think any PS One hardcore fan is going to want both of these. Um, unfortunately, though, as a result of talking about this at all, the Sio team. I guess get offended that there's competition now or something. I don't know. It sounded like, it sounded like silly drama around egos. But then facts started to come out, which you know I definitely wanted to address because um, they ended up deleting their Twitter account, which I think that was the right thing to do. And I just wanted to clarify the the owner of the company said that he had doxxed people before who had cloned their products. Um, and I got mixed feelings about that, because if if you know for sure that somebody stole and cloned your product, I don't know if I'd feel bad, but how do you know for sure? I mean, that's a really awful thing to have right now, and to go online and tell everybody that, yes, I've doxed people, eh, not too smart of a business move, um, and there's still the firmware issue. And it's coming from people that are not trolls on forums looking to lie and start trouble. These are people that I've known for years, at least in the scenario that I've been talking about, that, you know, some of them are friends of mine and other people are just people that have messaged me two years ago, hey, I can't get in touch with these people. I can't get my firmware. I can't get anything done. Um, And it's still a problem. And it goes back to cloning. They tried to, to make the firmware locked down in a way so you couldn't load it onto cloned devices, which is Good, but they went about it a wrong way. And the bottom line is people that bought that, and not only did they buy it legitimately, but they bought a legitimate one. So, you know, there's always the chance that somebody's going to buy a clone that they don't know is a clone. But people that are, you know, no, I'm selling my SIO. Oh, I bought it from Stone Age Gamer. Here's my receipt. It's the real original one. I just don't want it anymore they're not able to register that device to get firmware updates. So there's a ton of people out there that can't register their devices. So that was kind of a big deal. And I really hope hope Matt kind of takes a step back and realizes he's going about this the wrong way. Because if you're worried about clones, but you're alienating half your audience while there is another product coming out, what's worse at that point, right? Dealing with a clone or just having people not want to buy your stuff. So... With respect to the team, they did something that no one thought was possible. When it works, it seems to work great for the SIO, but that was a little rough kind of dealing with that drama and watching all of that that unfold. So uh, a very polite and respectful piece of advice to anybody out there, especially in the tech world, because I've seen this so often in many of... In fact, in every job I've had, you know, if you're the type of person that says you know, maybe I'm not the right person to address this publicly. You know, I'm, I'm more of a nerd. I'm probably not too good with people. Maybe, maybe I, I should be careful about this. Truth is, you'll probably be fine because you're smart enough to be self-conscious about what it is that you're saying. But if your attitude is, no, 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 I'm a smart dev and people love me and I know exactly what to do and I'm going to get this right, I know what I'm doing, you don't. I mean, it's just statistically speaking, you don't and you're going to end up having the same thing happened that happened this weekend. But, you know, I just don't want people to lose sight of the fact SIO is still an awesome product. Nothing will ever change that. It does still have compatibility issues, but they're working on it. And the only real problem I have, uh, you know, customer support issues, but people can grow out of that, uh, but it's the firmware. That's the only problem I have. That's why I sold mine to Zach a while back, just because I didn't even, I didn't want to deal with that ever again. I just, it was a pain in the ass the first time. And I I just think when you get a product, you should be able to just get the updates for it. But anyway, I, I you know, I, I hate talking about drama. I hate negativity. I'm a jolly, happy, fat guy, but sometimes you actually have to address it because, if you had kind of saw what went down on Twitter, you would have thought it was a lot worse than it actually was, which is why I really felt the need to talk about it. You know, not to bitch and complain, but the opposite, just to say, hey, nothing that happened was really that bad. It's all good. Don't worry about it. You know, Hopefully hopefully the company will have learned from this mistake and grow. And if that's the case, I'm 100% behind them. So just get people their firmware updates, please. <laughs> Anybody still with me after that 12-minute gushing over new PlayStation products? (laughs) You know, sorry to talk so long about that, but I just, I definitely didn't want to say, hey, there's two new products coming out, and then leave it be. And I know I'm already in the middle of doing detailed videos on both, so maybe I shouldn't have talked so long, but they're just, so many cool products coming out and I want to make sure they all get the justice that they deserve. So hopefully if you're a PlayStation fan, you didn't mind my, uh, my talking about all that stuff and you know, then the weird clarification at the end. But anyway, uh, as always, thank you all so much for watching and listening. And of course, and especially thank you to everybody that supports on Floatplane and Patreon. Cause without you, none of these videos, the website, the behind the scenes work, or any of this stuff would ever be able to happen. So thank you all so much and I'll see you next week.